0: And to that beautiful prayer we all say... Amen. May that indeed happen, that every heart would confess Christ as Lord. Man, we are so appreciative. Thank you, choir, for leading us this morning, instrumentalists, uh, for helping us give expression to our joy and our gladness and our adoration to Christ. If you have a Bible, please open to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And as you turn there, I want to ask you a question, but please don't answer out loud. Why are you here this morning? Why did you come to this place today? Now, I suppose that there are probably lots of ways that you could answer that question. Maybe you would say something like, well, I'm here because going to church is tradition for us. We, we always go to church on some uh, on Sundays. It's just something that our family does. Or you might say, well, I'm here Because I was bored, and I I couldn't find anything better to do, and I heard the choir was going to be singing, and they are so good that I just couldn't resist, and I had to come this morning. Or maybe you would say, well, I'm here because a friend invited me, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, and so I I am here. Now, those are not bad answers, and whatever your reason for being here, we are thankful to have you here with us today, and we hope and pray that you will grow deep in your love for God. And in your knowledge of God's Word. But I would like to suggest to you that there are better reasons for gathering and worshiping together on a day like today. I hope and pray that you can say or that you will be able to say at the end of our time together something like this. I'm here and I want to be here because Jesus lives. I'm here because Jesus has risen. He has conquered sin, Satan, hell, and death. He has come to live the life I could never live. He died a substitutionary death in my place, taking the shame and the wrath that I deserve. He was buried, but He is risen. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is coming again. I am here because I have been brought together into the family of God. I am an adopted child of God. And I am here because Jesus lives. I am here because of what He has done in my life. And I want to love those that Christ calls me to love. And I want to serve with those that God calls me to serve with. I am here because Jesus lives. I think those are great reasons to come and to gather together for worship on a Sunday morning. But, as you well know, not everybody believes those things that I just said. Not, not everybody believes that. You might be here this morning and perhaps you don't believe any of the things I just listed off. Perhaps you're here or you maybe have serious doubts about a great many things that the Bible says about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and secretly, inwardly, you're thinking to yourself, I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy this stuff and, and I never will. Maybe you are here and you're thinking something to the effect of, well, I, I would believe, but first I want to see a miracle. I, I, I would believe if Jesus would personally appear to me. If Jesus would personally reveal himself to me and do something fantastic do something miraculous, well, then I would believe. But unless he does, I I refuse to believe. If that's you, then there's a man in the Bible that you might identify with. His name is Thomas. And he has earned himself the nickname Doubting Thomas. Now, if truth be told, that nickname is a little too kind. To call Thomas Doubting Thomas is, I think, to look at Thomas through rose-colored glasses. Please note this on your outline. Thomas, I don't think, is an example of honest doubt, but as we find him here in John chapter 20, I think he's an example rather of arrogant unbelief. Arrogant unbelief, as we see him here in John chapter 20, he is not struggling with, with honest doubt. He is in fact characterized by a resolve, a determination to remain in unbelief unless his demands are met. This is not honest doubting, this is arrogant unbelief. And Jesus' encounter with Thomas will be, if you're keeping score at home, this will be Jesus' now third post-resurrection appearance that we have looked at in the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. And remember what we've said the past couple weeks. These appearances of Christ to either individuals or to groups of individuals, they're not haphazard. They are not random. They are not insignificant. They are rather filled with meaning as Jesus has something important to communicate to those individuals or groups of individuals that he now appears to. In the first post-resurrection appearance that we looked at when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, he gave her a message to declare, and it was a message of comfort, a message of victory, and it was this, relationships have changed. Relationships have changed. Jesus says to her in John chapter Chapter 20, verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is a message of reconciliation. That in Christ we have been reconciled to God. We have been made co-heirs with Christ, children of God, with God as our father and Christ as our brother. And we have so much to celebrate and we have so much to be thankful for. And so Mary Magdalene is commissioned by Jesus to go and proclaim this news to the disciples. Then last week we saw the second post-resurrection appearance of Christ, that of Jesus to the disciples and he gives them this this command, continue my mission. Continue my mission. After appearing to Mary Magdalene, Jesus appears to the disciples minus Thomas as they were gathered together, hiding in fear with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, and Jesus comes proclaiming peace to them. Jesus says in John 20 verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Continue my mission. Proclaim my message. Tell the world that forgiveness of sins is available in me. The Lord, the risen Jesus Christ. And now this morning we then come to the third post-resurrection appearance. And this time to Thomas, really to all the disciples, but Jesus focuses his attention here in on Thomas and Jesus commands Thomas to believe. Jesus teaches him and us that belief brings blessing. Now, to be more specific, we should say belief in Christ brings blessing and does it ever. John chapter 20, we'll read again the verses before us, beginning in verse 24. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So reads the words of the living God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, how we delight to read your Word. It is a tremendous joy for us to be able to gather here today and to study your Word. And Father, we would ask, please work in every heart and mind this morning. Father, give life where there perhaps is presently death. Give sight where there is blindness. Give understanding, love, and faith where there is dullness, where there is reluctance, where there is unbelief. Father, strengthen our faith where it is weak, that Christ may be glorified, that our joy would be made full. And we pray this in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen. As we said earlier, these verses show us in Thomas arrogant unbelief we see it detailed we see it depicted and we see it ultimately defeated as jesus commands thomas to stop unbelieving and to trust in him let's walk through these verses again noticing taking uh observation of the highlights looking at verse 24 says now thomas one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when jesus came The Bible tells us that on the day that Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to several individuals, to several groups of people. We know that he appeared to Mary Magdalene. We saw this back earlier in John 20, verses 11 to 18. He also appeared to a group of women, which we read about in Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 to 10. Jesus also appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We can read about this in Luke 24. And Jesus appeared to the disciples, minus Thomas which we looked at last week. Now have you ever wondered? Have you ever asked the question, why wasn't Thomas with them? Where where was Thomas? Why wasn't he there with the other disciples when Jesus first appeared to them? Well the Bible does not tell us exactly why Thomas wasn't there, but scripture does seem to indicate to us, please note this on your outline, that Thomas was something of a pessimist. Thomas was something of a pessimist. Now to be sure, Thomas loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He had followed Jesus, but he seems to drift towards melancholy. He tends to drift towards doubt, to to pessimism. Remember that after Lazarus had died, Jesus announced to the disciples that they would travel now to Lazarus. that, that, That they would go to where Lazarus was. Now, Thomas knew that the religious leaders were out there looking to arrest Jesus, looking to kill Jesus. Jesus looking looking to destroy him. Do you remember how Thomas responded to Jesus' statement, Let us go to be with Lazarus? Thomas responds in John eleven verse sixteen, let us also go, that we may die with him. And, and, and all the other disciples said, thank you, brother Thomas, for that, for that kind and encouraging word. You know, let, just let us go. Let us go and let us die with Christ. Yes, we, we, we will go and let's end it all and we will die. We also see in, in the gospel accounts that Thomas was good at asking questions, even if those questions at times seemed to contradict the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, Jesus was explaining his need to ascend back into heaven heaven and to leave earth and Jesus says to the disciples and you know the way to where I am going you know the way to where I am going thomas's response lord we do not know where you are going how can we know the way jesus you're wrong we don't know. We don't understand any of this. We don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're talking about. How can we possibly know the way Thomas, like Peter, seems to feel free to, at times, contradict Jesus and to set him straight? And you can only imagine what Thomas had been thinking after Christ had been crucified and laid in the tomb. He, he must have been thinking, I, I knew this would happen. I am such a fool i 've no one to blame but myself. I have followed jesus and now he 's dead, and I have lost everything. Maybe Thomas was not with the other disciples because he had purposefully isolated himself from them. Perhaps Thomas was even contemplating abandoning the other disciples and striking out on, on his own to go his own way. But for whatever reason, Thomas is not here with the disciples. Now look again at verse 25. This is where things get really good. Verse 25 says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. So the disciples go and, and, and like a good friend should, they tell him, he's alive. Thomas, he is, he is not dead, but, but he is risen. Now in the Greek, the verb here, told him, I love this, is in the continuous tense, meaning they told Thomas, And they kept on telling Thomas. Thomas, we've seen him. Thomas, he was right here. Thomas, it was incredible. Thomas, he seemed to walk right through the walls. The doors were locked and he was here. Thomas, you should have been here. Thomas, this was incredible. Thomas, he's alive. Jesus is here and we have seen him. Now, have you ever seen a pessimistic person around a bunch of happy, gleeful, excited people? It is not a pretty sight. If you are hurting, if you are discouraged, you don't want to be at a party. You don't want to be around a bunch of happy, peppy people. All this excitement, all this amazement and joy, Thomas cannot take it any longer. And so we come to verse 25. But he, that is Thomas, said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now here, when Thomas says, I will never believe, he uses a double negative. This is a, this is a way to, to emphatically declare something. That I will never believe. Thomas is in essence saying, if you'll forgive my bad grammar, I ain't never know how ever going to believe. Right? That That is Thomas. He is... Resolute in his determination to refuse to believe. He's probably thinking, you guys want this to be true so bad, you've become delusional. You, you want, you want to believe that he is risen. You've become delusional in, in, in what you're thinking. I'm not going to go in for that. So again, this is not honest doubt. Listen, Thomas is surrounded by adequate information. Thomas, who had heard the testimony himself of the Lord Jesus Christ, who declared and talked about his coming death, burial, and resurrection, Thomas had seen the power of Christ, that Christ has the power to raise the dead. Thomas now at this point has heard the testimony of his fellow disciples who tell him firsthand, we have seen the risen Christ. He's heard this eyewitness testimony please note this on your outline. Thomas now responds in defiant and arrogant unbelief. Think about what's happening here. Thomas is essentially telling the disciples what demands Jesus must meet in order for him to believe. Jesus must perform for Thomas in order for Thomas to believe in him. Unless I see, unless I do, unless I put my hand in his side and my finger in the nail prints, I will never, ever believe. And perhaps you've heard people talk in a similar fashion today. I, I, I will believe if... God performs a miracle for me. I, I I will become a Christian if God, on one beautiful clear night, arranges the stars to spell my name. Well, then I, I I will believe and I will become a Christian. I will get serious about my faith if God meets my demands on my terms in my way. It's interesting to note that when the devil came to tempt Jesus, he took Jesus at one point up to the pinnacle of the temple and asked him to throw himself down, knowing that the angels would come and care for him. Do you remember Jesus' response to the devil? Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Friend, God is to be believed. God is to be trusted. God is to be worshipped, not resisted and tested by defiant, obstinate men. Now, it is true, and please observe this, note this on your outline, God is not opposed to honest questions. God is certainly not afraid of, of questions that we may bring to Him. But God is opposed to defiant and foolish unbelief. God is not afraid of the questions that, that we may bring to him. But listen, friend, it is a dangerous, even a foolish thing to say to God, I will never believe you. I will never trust you unless you meet my list of demands. Unless you do exactly as I dictate, I will never believe. I think Thomas's defiance here is very different, very different than something we see in Mark chapter 9. In, 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 in Mark chapter 9, we see a hurting father who is desperate to find healing for his sick. Uh, even a, a demon-possessed son who is greatly afflicted by some kind of foul spirit and some kind of demonic oppression. This father brings his son to the disciples as Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're not able to do anything for for this this poor afflicted boy. Eventually, the matter is brought to Jesus. Jesus speaks with the father about this. I think you have these verses on your outline. <clears throat> from Mark chapter 9. It says, And Jesus asked this father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And then immediately in mercy and compassion and grace, Jesus heals this boy and He casts out this unclean spirit and He gives the child back to the Father. Listen, there's a big difference between someone who says, like this Father, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to grow. Help me to believe more fully. To believe like I ought to believe. Help me in my unbelief versus someone who says, I ain't never going to believe. There's a big difference, friend. We want to love and encourage and help those who are wrestling with difficult issues of life, with people who are struggling, living in a sinful world, the world that we live in. At times, we all need to be encouraged. We all need to be patiently loved. We need to be instructed. We need to be encouraged. And it is our joy and our privilege to do that for each other. To lovingly encourage one another. To grow in our faith. To grow in our belief that we may more fully trust Christ and walk with Him. And at other times, when we're perhaps more like Thomas, when we are becoming foolish and obstinate and defiant in our unbelief, we need a good kick in the pants. We need to be confronted. We need to be challenged to believe and to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul seems to indicate this very thing in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol encourage the faint-hearted help the weak and be patient with them all and of course the lord jesus christ does this perfectly he knows how to encourage the faint-hearted he knows how to help the weak and he knows how to confront thomas who is in need of correction and this brings us to be on your outline arrogant unbelief defeated Arrogant unbelief defeated. Look again at verse 26. It says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So, one week has passed. It's been one week since Jesus appeared to the disciples, and now we find them all gathered again together, this time still with the doors locked, and Thomas is with them. And just to reiterate... So you have some sympathy for Thomas. This has probably been a hard week for Thomas as he's had to listen to his fellow disciples continually talk about the fact that Jesus is risen, that he is alive. Now, read further in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Here, Jesus does Much of what he did before. He Again, miraculously just appears to them coming into a locked room. He declares peace to them. Again, reminding them that through him, because of him, they are at peace with God. They're not at war with God. They're not at enmity with him. Because of Christ, they've been brought into a peaceful, loving relationship with, with God. And you can only imagine what Thomas, though, is, is, is thinking as the resurrected Christ appears to to them, he, he may have thought initially, this is incredible, this is exactly what they said, this is just the way that it had happened before. But then, maybe there was another thought that entered into Thomas's mind. Maybe he thought, oh no, what, what have I done? What, what have I said? Christ, He is here. And then, to make matters worse, verse 27 Then he, that is Jesus, said to Thomas, Stop there for just a moment. What is that like? To deny Christ, to refuse to believe in him, and then to miraculously have Jesus appear, zero in on you, and address you specifically? Do you feel arrogant? In that moment, do you feel puffed up with pride and confidence? No, this is a very humbling moment for Thomas as Jesus appears and he now focuses his attention upon him. Verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Please note this on your outline. Everything that Jesus says to Thomas in verse 27 is a command. It It is a command. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. But believe. Also, please note this on your outline. Every command that Jesus gives is, is in direct response to Thomas's demands. Remember, Thomas had said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails. Jesus now says, see my hands. Thomas had said, and place my finger into the mark of the nails. And Jesus now says, Put your finger here. Thomas had said, and place my hand in his side. Jesus now says, put out your hand and place it in my side. Thomas had said, I will never believe. Jesus now says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Think about what is happening here. Jesus is demonstrating perfect knowledge. He's demonstrating a, a, a divine omniscience regarding everything that Thomas had said. How did Jesus know about Thomas? How did Jesus know about Thomas' refusal to believe? Well, brothers and sisters, we, we know, we take great joy and comfort from the fact that we know that Jesus is God. And as God, He possesses perfect knowledge and a divine omniscience. And here He demonstrates that perfect knowledge of Thomas, of His words, and of the condition of His heart. And brothers and sisters, nothing has changed in over 2,000 years. Jesus still knows the condition of your heart. Jesus knows the condition of your mind. There is nothing hidden. From his sight. In the book of Revelation, as you well know, Jesus gives seven messages to seven churches. These are given to the Apostle John. They are seven letters to to seven churches, and there is a unique message for the church in Ephesus. There is a different message for the church in Smyrna, a different message for the church in Pergamum, a different message for the church in Thyatira, a different message for the church in Sardis, a different message for the church in Philadelphia, and you guessed it, a different Message for the church in Laodicea. You say, What's the point? Here's the point. All seven of these letters are very different, yet they all share at least one common trait, one common characteristic that permeates them all. There is one thing that Jesus says to every single one of these churches. Do you know what it is? I know. Jesus knows. He always knows. He knows the condition of His church. He knows the condition of every single heart, every single mind, every individual. He sees all and knows all. He knows our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, our motives, our desires. He is completely effortlessly informed about us. Jesus knows about your trials. He knows about your difficulties. And He has not abandoned you. He knows that you love Him, that you want to honor Him. He knows when you are mocked, when you are made fun of for following Him. He sees He is not ignorant. He is watchful and loving and caring and sovereign. His his compassionate eye never leaves His children. And this ought to be a great comfort to us and brothers. And sisters, we can be reminded of the fact that Jesus knows all about our sin. And He knows all about our ugliness. He knows about our thoughts of jealousy, our thoughts of lust, our thoughts of hatred. There again is nothing hidden from His sight. He sees our stubbornness. He sees our resistance to His perfect and good will. And it grieves His heart when we foolishly rebel and strive to walk in unbelief. Again, all of this should be for us. A wonderful motivation to walk with Him. To walk in truth. To walk in godliness. We know that Jesus knows. He sees all. He knows all. There is not one second when we are away from His watchful eye. Each and every day we can and should say to God, God, I know that you see me. I live this day before your face, before your presence. You know my mind, you know my heart, you know every sin, you know every foolish thing I have ever said or done or thought, and yet, incredibly, you love me. Because Christ has taken my place. He knows my sin and He died for every one of them that I may be Forgiven and adopted into your family. So Father, help me to live by faith. Help me to walk now trusting you. Root out any rebellion. Root out any unbelief in me. That I may walk joyfully with you today in your presence. Brothers and sisters, we can and we should pray this way. By faith we can rejoice in God's perfect knowledge of us. And listen, hear Jesus wants Thomas to know that he already knows. He already knows. He knows. But that's not all. We also see, please note this on your outline, Jesus demonstrates perfect kindness, grace, and patience with Thomas. Who could have complained if Jesus had had showed up saying, You know, Thomas, uh, I heard what you said, and you're fired. Uh, you, uh, you you can leave now, and as you exit, I'd like to collect your disciple card, because you're not going to need that anymore, because you are off the team. Thomas, bye-bye. You, you Who could have complained if Christ would have shown up with such words? And yet, how does Jesus come to Thomas? He comes to him with a message to, Thomas, put an end to your unbelief. Thomas, put an end to this foolishness. Believe. Believe. See my hands. Put your finger here. Put out your hand. Thomas, stop this unbelief and believe in me. This is grace and truth and it is not lost on Thomas. Thomas rightly responds. And this is a beautiful, glorious thing. Thomas now rightly responds in verse 28, responding the right way to the resurrected Lord and King Jesus christ look again at verse 28 thomas answered him by the way we don't ever read in the text that thomas actually did those things where he's like okay i'm gonna poke my finger in your hand okay i'm gonna i'm gonna put my hand in into your side because i really need to do that we don't read any of that here is what we read from thomas this is his confession and boy is it a good one thomas answered him my lord and my god That is the right response to Jesus. Who is he? He is Lord. He is God. Please note this on your outline. Jesus does not correct Thomas. He rather affirms. He affirms that he is Lord and God. Now, brothers and sisters, and you know this. I, I, I don't have to tell this to you. If anyone were ever to mistake you or me, For Lord or, or, or God, we would be duty bound to immediately correct them in the strongest language possible, right? Don't, don't call me that. Don't, don't say that about me. There is but one God, there is one Lord, and I am not I am not him, okay? So don't, don't ever say that to me again. Is that what we read from, from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, not at all. Jesus affirms that it is entirely right and appropriate for Thomas to call him Lord and God. Now, earlier, I made the statement that in this third post-resurrection appearance, Jesus shows and reveals the truth that belief brings blessing. Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ brings blessing. And in these final verses, this is made abundantly clear. Look again at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you've, you've believed, and, and you've seen, and that, that's fine. That, That's good. But Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen with their eyes and yet believe that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that He is King. They are blessed and they will continue to be blessed, Thomas. Jesus here is emphasizing that blessing comes to those who believe even though they have not seen Him. See, brothers and sisters, some have, I think, wrongly tried to abuse this passage and say things like this. Well, look, Jesus met. Thomas's demands, so go ahead and put Jesus to the test. Go ahead and lay out any demand, anything you want of God, present your list of demands and don't believe, refuse to believe like Thomas did until God meets every single one of your list of demands. Listen, friend, I have a hard time thinking that that is the correct interpretation and application of these verses. Is there anything in this passage that suggests to to us that Thomas's unbelief is a good thing No! Is is there anything in this passage that tells us that we should imitate Thomas in the demands that he gives? That we should cultivate an attitude like him? Does John write any commentary after this situation saying, Now go and be like Thomas and and present your, your list of demands to Christ? No, of course not. Jesus rather pronounces blessing upon those who do not see and yet believe. And it was the Apostle Peter who seemed to echo this same thought in First 1 Peter 1, 1.8 where he says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, Peter affirms here that his readers, they have not physically seen the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they love Him. They believe in Him. They trust in Him. They glory in Him, and they long for His soon return. But, you may be thinking, well, then how are people supposed to believe? Thomas saw, and he believed, But how are we supposed to believe without seeing? How is that possible? How can I believe and trust Jesus without seeing him? Those are good questions. And I believe that the Apostle John anticipates those, which explains the next couple verses. These verses that come next, explain John's entire purpose for writing this book, this gospel. Why did John write? What was his motivation and purpose? John tells us clearly, listen, that God has established an appointed means, a tool, an instrument by which we are to believe and to be saved. Look again at verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In his name. What is the means, the instrument that God has given that we may believe and be saved? It is the Word of God, which includes this precious book, the Gospel of John. It includes the entire New and Old Testament's 66 books from Genesis to Revelation that all point forward to Christ and look back on his work and anticipate his soon return. This is why John immediately includes these verses following Jesus' encounter with Thomas. This explains how we are to believe today. Please note this on your outline. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because we have seen Him physically, but because we by faith see Him and know Him in the pages of Scripture. And having done that, we learn what it means to walk daily with him to rejoice in him to walk according to his commands to walk in the spirit to rejoice in him daily the scriptures all testify to christ they point to jesus they look forward to his coming they explain his coming they anticipate his soon return paul would write in romans 10 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of christ Faith comes as the truth is proclaimed, as the Holy Spirit does his work to open hearts and minds to reveal the beauty, the glory of Christ and the gospel. Belief brings blessing. John believes this. Jesus affirms this here in his encounter with Thomas. But as we close, and I promise we we are almost done, but there is one last question that we must answer, and it's this. What blessing? Belief brings blessing. What blessing? What are we talking about exactly? Well, John does not elaborate a great deal on this and there's a reason why. John assumes that you've been paying attention. John assumes that 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 you remember things that he has already said and explained through throughout this gospel. Again, I think these verses are on your outline. Let's just walk through them very quickly. Let me show you what I mean. John 1:12 says, "But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." We can become children of God? Yes. Belief brings blessing. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We can have the gift of eternal life. Yes, belief brings blessing. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You mean we can escape the wrath of God? We can be free? from all condemnation and experience the joy of eternal life? Yes! Belief brings blessing. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We can have our souls satisfied in Christ? Yes! Belief brings blessing. John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. You mean we can be raised to live with Christ for all of eternity in his glorious presence? Yes, belief brings blessing. So as as we close, I ask you the question, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Him, in His atoning work for life, for forgiveness of sins? Can you say with Thomas, my Lord and my God? Listen, brothers and sisters, friends, if you are here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are not believing in Him, trusting in Him, it would be our joy to talk with you after the service. Or if you have questions, just any question you would like to ask about belief and faith and what this means to trust in Christ please come and talk to us we'll have some elders some of our pastors down front they'll also be at some of the doors as you exit it would be our joy to talk with you and to pray with you about these things but i want to leave you with this precious thought from romans 10:13 where paul writes everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved Friend, God is merciful. He is gracious. He is willing and capable and able to save anyone and everyone who comes to Him in faith and belief and repentance, turning to Him from sins. Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? Do you believe Him? Are you walking with Him today? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we again pray and ask for Your help. Help us all. To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to walk with you daily, trusting you, trusting your word, knowing that belief in Christ indeed brings blessing. Father, if there be any among us today who do not know Christ, who are not believing in him, Father, we pray that today would be the day that they see and behold Christ for who He is, that they respond in repentance and faith in Him. Father, please do this for our joy, for our good. Do this for Your ultimate glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen.